All right. There's one more thing uh, by way of announcements that we'll just uh, mention. And uh, I'll mention it now so that we can get it on, uh, on the recording so others who aren't here can hear about it as well. Um, in a few weeks' time, on uh, Sunday the 3rd of December, Sunday the 3rd of December, we are going to have a membership meal. This sounds like it's everyone who's a member is going to get a meal, but it's not. Um, <laughs> maybe we should have reworded it. Now, this is a meal uh, uh, that we're going to do for people who are interested in uh, what it is to become a member of the church, um, interested in the things that we believe as a church. Um, every so often, we do run these uh, times, a few hours together, where we uh, will explain what it is that we believe, where it is that we're going, our vision, a bit of our history of the church as well, so you can get an idea. And uh, we really want to encourage people who've been with us for a little while, um, or maybe even just a few weeks, to, to discover more. And then you'll have the opportunity, if you want, to become a church member. That means you're really committing yourself to us as your church family, committing yourself to the leadership, committing yourself to the vision of where we're going, committing yourself to each other, really, as a church. And uh, we love to encourage people to do that when they're ready, um, but it's good to find out more. So what we're going to do this time is we're going to have a meal together at 5 o'clock at our Brunswick Street building, um, 487 Brunswick Street, 3rd of December. And then we're going to take a couple of hours just to go through some material. And we'll actually email that out to you. So if you are interested in coming along to this, please let us know beforehand so we can uh, prepare the meal, get the right numbers, uh, right amount of food, and then we'll also be able to email out to you um, the information so you can have a look at that beforehand. So I uh, do encourage you, if you've, uh, if you've never done that before, uh, mark that in your schedules, 3rd of December. It'll just be a few hours. We'll be done um, by early, e mid-evening, I guess. Okay. So going right from that, Emil, we'll go right into Mark chapter 8. And uh, we're talking about another meal. So we've got uh, the feeding of the 4,000. We'll read from verse 1 through until verse 21. Let's see if I can get this working. There we go. So, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, um, his disciples answered, but um, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he'd sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. 
Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, well, it's because we've got no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Well, 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? To which they probably answered, no. (laughs) And we may answer the same. (laughs) Well, hopefully we'll understand a little bit more. Um, today. So, here we are again. You might think, um, wow, this, this all seems a bit familiar. This is like deja vu. Well, that's because just a few chapters ago, we had the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, and that was when we saw, if you remember, that there was huge need, limited resources, but God. As Gary was saying earlier today, but God. And now another large crowd has gathered, this time around 4,000 people, uh, slightly fewer than before. The the others were 5,000 men, so obviously women and children as well. This is 4,000 people. The account's very similar, but there are some differences. So this time there are seven loaves that the disciples have, a few small fish. Uh, Last time there was five loaves and two fish. This time seven baskets left over. Last time there were 12 baskets left over. So a few differences in the account. It's worth saying that because some people think, oh, this is just Mark. He's forgotten he's already written about this account and he's got his numbers mixed up and he's just putting it in again. No, he's not. This is a totally separate uh, time. And we'll see later on in the passage why it's important um, because Jesus refers to the two times, doesn't he? Um, The interaction with Jesus and his disciples is different as well, because this time the emphasis is much more on Jesus communicating his heart to his disciples. Now, Jesus knows um, that it's not going to be too long until he is going to die. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to obviously be raised to life again, but then he's going to ascend to heaven, and uh, it's his disciples who are going to be carrying on his mission. They're going to be continuing the work of bringing the kingdom um, about into the world. And uh, we can see from this passage and from many other passages that the disciples have still got quite a ways to go. There's a lot of work that Jesus still needs to do with his disciples at this point. So he's taking much more initiative with them uh, in this point because he really wants them to understand why he's doing the things that he's doing. Obviously, he's going around, he's healing people, he's delivering uh, people from oppression, he's feeding people, and he, but he wants his disciples to understand the reason why they're doing, he's doing that. He wants to take them out of the self-centeredness that they are working out of pretty much all the time. If you look at the disciples, they're pretty much always, their motivation is always about themselves. So Jesus calls his disciples, and he says, I have compassion on these people. That's the first thing that he says. I have compassion on these people. They've been with me for three days. None of them have got any food left now. Maybe they had some food when they first came. Maybe they thought they were going to come and listen. Oh, let's go and listen to Jesus for an hour or two. Well, three days later, 
He's still preaching and teaching. They're still there. The disciples are kind of probably thinking, oh my word, three days this time. Um, But Jesus is saying, I've got compassion on these people. Some of them have come a long way. People were traveling from all over the region, from miles and miles around. If they leave in the hot sun and they've got nothing to eat, they're going to collapse even on their way home. So Jesus is explaining this to his disciples. They haven't come to him this time. He's called them because he's wanting them to get hold of his spirit. He's wanting them to get hold of what's in his heart. He wants them to see that he's got a compassion on the people. Now, last time there was a crowd like this, when it was the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples were the ones who came to him Now, but they didn't come to him because they'd got compassion on the people. They came to him really because they were tired themselves. If you read just before that, they'd been tired. They'd been trying to find a place to get away from the crowd, but the crowds had all followed them. And then it's like, oh, okay, now Jesus, we've got to teach them again. And there's all the teaching and healing and everything going on. And the disciples are saying, and they come and say, oh, uh, Jesus, you need to send the crowd away. They need to go and get some food. You know, it would be good for them. But really, they're, they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking, well, we've been here for all this time. We were supposed to get some one-on-one time with Jesus. We were supposed to get some rest. And so even though it might look as though they're concerned or send them to go and get some food, they're not. They're just concerned about themselves. That's where their heart was at. They're being self-centered. They're just being concerned about their own convenience. They're being concerned about their own tiredness and about their own hungry. And at that time, for the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, well, why don't you feed them? And they didn't say, oh, we can't go, any, go and get any food. It wasn't quite as remote a place at that time. Um, they just said, oh, it would cost us too much money to get all these people some food. So again, they're thinking about themselves. But in this passage, even though the people haven't got anything, the disciples, they've been thinking ahead. We're going to make sure we've got enough bread at this point. So Jesus says to them, okay, well, so how, the people haven't got anything. Uh, okay, disciples, well, what have you got? And so they're like, oh, um, well, we've got seven loaves with us. They're not volunteering those seven loaves. Jesus is asking them. Jesus is kind of dragging it out of them. And then he literally takes it off them (laughs) and says, oh, great. I'll take those seven loaves. Thank you very much. The disciples at this point are not going to be particularly happy about it. Reading between the lines, they're wanting to keep what they had for themselves. They're not wanting to share it with other people. They've been going round with Jesus for quite some time now, but they haven't caught his heart. They haven't got hold of his spirit. They're not prepared to give up what was theirs because of that, because their hearts were inward looking, their hearts were selfish. So they're not prepared really to do that. We see it in lots of other places in the Gospels as well. So for example, in Mark 10, it says, uh, we're coming up to this passage in a a couple of chapters time. We'll probably get to it next summer. Um, People are, br- people are bringing uh, children to Jesus. And the disciples are like, oh, children as well. You know? So it's like, not only all these crowds, 
children. And the disciples are spotting them coming, and they rebuke the people who are bringing the children to Jesus. Oh, don't go and take them away. Jesus isn't going to want to be bothered with children. What an inconvenience they are. Um, you know, so they just don't understand Jesus' heart. Jesus said, no, let the children come to me. Kids can sometimes seem an inconvenience even for us today, can't they? Sometimes people say, oh, it's a bit noisy behind you when you're preaching. Well, the kids are learning behind there, so that's where they are. So bless them, and it's not an inconvenience. Anyway, that's where the disciples were. Matthew 15, the, the passage that we looked at uh, the, other, the other day, parallel passage to the Mark 7 one, the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who comes, and she is asking Jesus for um, help for her uh, child who is being oppressed by a, a demon. And the disciples again say to Jesus, send her away. But, they, but they're not saying send her away, obviously you need some time. They actually say, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. She keeps bothering us. Jesus, send her away. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, they, they go to uh, Samaria and they're going into a village, and it says the people in that village did not welcome them um, because they were heading off to Jerusalem. So they're, they're, you know, they're not interested. It, well, we don't really want to deal with you guys. You guys are Israelites. We're Samar Samaritans. They're not welcoming them. And the disciples, I think it's James and John specifically, say, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> it's like, What? Jesus, and then it says, Jesus rebukes them. He's like, what are you talking about? They're not, do you want us to send fire down from heaven to destroy them? They've learned something of Jesus' power. They've been going out themselves, and they've seen some of Jesus' power. They've been able to operate in some of the power that Jesus works in. And so they're like, oh, great, we've got this power. Let's call down fire from heaven. No, that's not what it's about. They totally haven't understood Jesus' heart. They totally haven't got his spirit. So Jesus here in this passage, this isn't really, I mean, yes, it's a great miracle for 4,000 people to get fed, but really this is an opportunity for Jesus to teach his disciples. That's what he's doing here. He's teaching them to look outside their own comfort. He's teaching them to look outside their own prejudice, look outside their own ambition of what they want, and to catch the heart of God to shepherd and care for others. And we would do well to listen to what Jesus has to say too. Because if we're honest, we can often find ourselves in situations where we're more concerned about ourselves and about our tiredness and our busyness and what we want and what, God want, what we want God to do in us than we are about what God wants to do through us to bring Jesus' love to a world which is, as Jesus says uh, elsewhere in the Gospels, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We can too right, reject people who are difficult. We can too find that it's hard work. And we can think, we've got big problems ourselves. It's a, all this is just a drain on our energy. We haven't got much energy. So there can be any number of situations where we have this. You know, it's coming up to Christmas. 
busy time of year, and we can think, oh, well, maybe there are some people in the church, maybe they've got nowhere to go at Christmas, maybe, but we can just think, oh, do you know what, we've got so much on ourselves, we're so busy, we've got our own family to prepare for, you know, Je oh, Gemma, it's great what's going on with Kids Club, Gemma, but, you know, you're saying about buying gifts and food for other people, we don't even know those people. Oh, we've got it. We haven't got much money. We've got to buy for our own children. We can end up getting into that mentality, that way of thinking. Well, we just need to look after ourselves. It, it might just mess up our plans. We really don't want. If we invite someone else around at Christmas, Christmas time. I mean, we've got our own family traditions, and how will they fit into that? No, actually, we're just going to leave it. We'll just focus in on ourselves. The disciples just wanted that. They wanted their own cozy relationship with Jesus, but they wanted it on their own terms. They didn't want it on Jesus' terms. They wanted it on their terms. The crowds, they were an inconvenience. They were an annoyance. And things can become like that for us too because we can start to see our relationship with Jesus in, like, in those terms. We can start to view church as something which is there primarily to suit us rather than a vehicle to reach the lost and to be able to give of ourselves together. We started a, a, a similar kids' club uh, that we're doing here. We started one up in Sheffield uh, back about 17 years ago. And when we first started it up, we had a number of people in the church there came and they complained to us and they said, why are you putting so much resource into kids' club, which is for kids who aren't even in the community? What about our kids? Why aren't we doing as much for our kids? Sorry. I meant in the community, I think. Anyway, <laughs> we'll just have a little discussion. <laughs> why, why are you putting so much resource into the community? We want it into the church. We want it in the church. Why, why, aren't, why aren't kids? What about our kids? What you're doing for those kids is better than we're going. Giving away a drone, was it? Giving away a drone? Why are we giving drones away to people outside? What's going on? But we don't understand it. And, and why are you, why, they said, why are you doing it on a Saturday morning? That's when our kids go swimming. Someone actually came to us and said that. That's when my kids go swimming. Can't we have it at a different time? No, <laughs> we can't have it at a different time because we're not doing it primarily for your kids. They're welcome to come. That's not the main reason we're doing it. We can get into that way of thinking about things? Do we catch our th ourselves thinking about our preferences when it comes to other things that we're doing? Oh, the, the Christmas carnival. We used to do that in November. That was a good time of year. Now we're doing it in December. Why are we doing the Christmas carnival in December? That's weird. I don't understand it. Oh, I'd prefer it to be in November. Why are we doing Christmas on the 17th of December? Not Christmas Eve? I mean, but Christmas Eve is so nice, and we, we like to come. Well, there's many reasons that we're doing all of the things that we're doing. Um, but some of those reasons are because we're actually wanting to draw in and encourage some of the families who we've started getting to know through things like Kids Club and Drop-In and other things like that. We want to draw them in to our celebrations. And so we're going to have our last Kids Club on the 9th of December. 
which is when the Christmas carnival is going to be at, and we can invite all the families, say, it's our last kids club, but then after that, come along to our Christmas carnival, and we're going to celebrate with them, and we'll draw them into that, and then we'll be able to invite at that Christmas carnival, do you know what, hey, next week, we're going to be celebrating Christmas together, and we're going to do that on the 17th of December, because maybe that's a better day than the 24th of December for people who aren't even used to going to church on the 24th of December. All sorts of different reasons, but it could easily be that we start thinking, oh, but I quite like Christmas Eve evening. Well, maybe next year we'll do Christmas Eve evening. I don't know. The whole point is our mentality can be very much, well, what about me? What about what is suitable for me? So when Jesus says he's got compassion on people, and he has compassion on us as well, as we've been hearing this morning, when he says he's got compassion on people, he's modeling something to his disciples. He's saying, I know your energy is limited. I know you're tired. I know you're hungry. I know you haven't got enough resources. You don't feel you've got enough to feed all these people. You've not got enough money to pay for food for all these people. Seven loaves isn't going to feed 4,000 people, but I still want you to give what you've got, and then I am going to multiply it. So Jesus does that. And as they reluctantly give of their seven loaves, or begrudgingly give of their seven loaves, Jesus takes it off them, he breaks it, he gives thanks, he distributes it to the people, some small fish as well. They didn't have too much to give, but the amazing thing is, everyone eats, and there's still seven basketfuls of food left over. Still seven basketfuls left over. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to get hold of. When we give to God out of our lack because we're always giving out of our lack. We're always feeling we don't quite have enough. We're always feeling we don't have enough money or resources or time or our gifts or we're not able to do things. But when we give what we've got, Jesus will pour more into us as well. That's what the whole of the parable of the talents is about, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you might only have one talent, but if you give that one talent, then I'll give more to you. If you don't, if you just keep it to yourself, then actually I'm not going to be happy with you. Luke chapter 6 says, Give, this is Jesus, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, give of what you have. Give and you will also receive. But right now, the disciples haven't got a clue what Jesus is doing. They don't understand any of that. They don't have that heart, and they don't have faith either that Jesus is going to be able to provide. Even though he's fed 5,000 people, (coughs) there's 4,000, and they're not coming and saying, hey, Jesus, I remember this situation last time. There's not even as many people this time. Why don't we give of what we've got, and let's see everyone get fed. They're not even believing for that. They're still thinking about keeping it to themselves. So, right after this, Jesus has an altercation with the Pharisees. It seems like this is a little bit of an interlude that comes in. He goes and he talks to some Pharisees. The Pharisees, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God at all. And um, some of them are asking for a sign. So it says that he's wanting them to give a sign um, from heaven. 
And uh, you could think, well, surely Jesus just fed 4,000 people. That's a sign, isn't it? Um, but that's not the kind of sign that they're asking for. What they're asking for is him to make some kind of prediction which will quickly come true afterwards to prove that he's from God. A good example would be today if they said, okay, we don't really believe that you're the son of God at all, but why don't you give us a sign? Tell us what the winning numbers of the lottery this coming week are going to be. And then we'll know that you're from God. And Jesus is saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. Why do you ask me for a sign? Have you not seen what's going on? Have you not opened your eyes to what is actually going on here? If your hearts are so hard that you're not going to believe, then I don't want anything else to do with you. And he doesn't have anything else to do with them. He leaves them. Earlier on in the Gospels, actually, he did answer their questions. He did try and see where their hearts were. But now, these people, they've made their minds up. They've decided they don't want to know. They're just like, oh, well, you know, it's clearly not from God. But anyway, just if you want to prove it to us, he's saying, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm interested in, in people whose hearts are after me. So he leaves. And they go off in, in a boat. There's a, there's a huge difference between people who are genuinely looking to follow Jesus and learn from him, but, uh, but are a long way, you know, long way to go. That's where most of us would be. We've got a heart for Jesus, but we know, oh, we struggle. Oh, we battle against this, and we struggle with this, and oh, God, we've, we, we know we've messed up again. We know our heart isn't right. We know our attitude's not right. Well, there's a big difference between that and people who are just proud and arrogant and think they know best and like, oh, well, you show us Jesus if you want to. There's a big difference there. And Jesus sees right into the hearts of people. And if you harden your heart for long enough, actually God will harden it too and he will leave you. We see that all the time in the Bible. It says, like Pharaoh, for Moses, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Every time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it starts saying, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see that. Eventually, God says, okay. That's where you want to go. If you're going to harden your heart time after time after time, if you're just going to be cynical, if you're going to just choose to believe the worst, then I'm just going to leave you. Wow. That's a stark warning to us to keep our hearts soft. Anyway, they get into the boat. And, uh, and now is the next part of this story. Because the disciples, it says, have forgotten to bring any bread with them, hilariously. <laughs> like all this stuff's been going on with bread. And it says, oh, the disciples have now forgotten to bring any bread with them. Uh, it says, apart from one loaf that was in the boat. Actually, Mark there might be talking about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So uh, Mark's probably making a little joke there saying, oh, the disciples haven't got any bread apart from the bread of life who happened to be in the boat with them. Um, so... It may be that they actually just had one physical loaf, but that's probably more likely that he's talking about Jesus. And, and so the disciples, that's what they're fixed on. They just spend their time going on and on about not having any bread. Well, what are we going to eat? They're probably blaming each other. Well, why didn't you bring some bread? Well, why didn't you get it? And then they've just had to pick up seven, I don't know how long afterwards it was, but they've picked up seven basketfuls of bread. You know, Philip, did you not put one of those baskets of bread in the boat with us. Well, no, I thought you'd do it. I mean, they were probably begrudging it, going around picking it all up anyway. Oh, now we've got to go and pick all this bread up. 
basketfuls of bread again. What does Jesus think we are? Well, we're just going around picking bread up, putting it in baskets. He can't, you know, and then they've not even got any. <sighs> None in the boat. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples at this point, and he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees because he's aware, he's concerned for the heart of his disciples because his disciples are like, Oh, we're not sure about this. They're still thinking about themselves a lot of the time. And he's concerned that that doesn't start to infect them, that the Pharisees' attitude doesn't get into the hearts of the disciples. He, makes sure, he wants to make sure they don't become like that. Because as we've seen in other weeks, the legalism, the religiosity that the Pharisees brought, that's so dangerous. So Jesus is saying, look, this attitude that the Pharisees have, he mentions Herod as well, that can spread from person to person, hardened, hardening people's hearts. And he says about yeast, he says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Yeast in those, in those days, it wasn't like the, the nice stuff that we add to bread so that it becomes like springy and tasty and, and all of that. Yeast at the, at the time, it was, it, it, it was kind of more of a, a contaminant thing and uh, it would infect the whole batch if you had it. It was a bad thing if you had the yeast spreading into the whole batch of dough. You couldn't get rid of it. And so Jesus is saying, look, just be careful that this attitudes that the Pharisees have and that Herod has and these other people who you're coming into contact with, don't let that infect your hearts. You see, there's a battle going on for the disciples' hearts. Jesus is wanting to win them more to his way of seeing things, this compassion, his love for people. The Pharisees, though, are in danger of having them harder, especially if there's some resentment going on from some of the disciples, like, oh, Jesus keeps taking our sandwiches. Uh, if, if, if that's going on in people's hearts, then it can start to spread. It can start to affect a number of other things. We see in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, um, the writer there says, See to it that no bitter root rises up. I can't read that. See that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So there can be this bitterness which comes about and it affects many, many people. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, we don't want that to happen. And it can happen. It can happen in churches when people start to miss the grace of God and they start to get picky and critical about things and it, and it spreads and it affects other people. You meet together with other people over a meal or, or, or with friends and you say, oh, do you know what so-and-so did? And, it all, and gossip starts and, oh, really? And you start to harden your hearts towards other people in the church or whoever it might be or, well, why are we doing that? And I don't know. And then it all goes and it spreads and it can be dangerous and it can be bitter and it's, and it's totally opposite of what God is wanting. So Jesus is saying, that's what you need to be concerned about. You've just got to watch it, disciples, that you don't allow this yeast to spread. But the disciples aren't even thinking on that level. The disciples are thinking, we've not brought any bread with us. And so Jesus is saying, oh, just watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast, yeast, he's thinking about bread. That's why Jesus is talking about that. And they say, oh, it's because we haven't bought any bread brought any bread. Jesus isn't talking about them not bringing bread at all. He's talking about something else, but that's all they're fixed on. 
bread. We haven't got any bread. What are we going to do? Jesus is talking about bread. He's probably telling us off. Because we've not brought any bread. We can do that, can't we? We can start, we can start to see it and, and feel that, that, that people are, are, are telling us off. A little while ago, 4,000 people were hungry. They were hungry for what Jesus had, the bread of life. And they weren't even asking Jesus to feed them physical bread, but the disciples' focus is just fixed to their stomach. And that's what they're doing. They're just fixing on their immediate need. Everything else is shut off around them. It's like their tunnel vision. This is all that matters right now. I am hungry. We've got no bread. What are we going to do? It's your fault. It's your fault. That's all they're thinking about. And we can think about that in our lives too. We can say, oh, our marriage is in difficulties. So we just fix it. we've just got to focus in on our marriage. That's all we can think about. We can't even think about anything else. I'm not even thinking about God or church or anything like that. I'm just thinking about my marriage. Well, there's problems with my kids, so that's all I'm thinking about. Need to, need to take some time off from church. Need to stop everything. Got to focus in on the kids. That's the opposite of what Jesus is encouraging us to do here. It's the opposite. Jesus is saying, look out from where you're at. Pour yourself into something bigger. Pour yourself out to others. And as you do that, you'll receive blessings. So when Jesus is talking about yeast, they're thinking he's telling them off. They're thinking he's talking about something completely different. If you remember last time I was preaching, I talked about the, the lenses, the glasses that we can look at things through. I talked about the glasses of grace, the lenses of legalism. The, the disciples are, are wearing almost their lenses of legalism. They're just feeling Jesus is probably telling us off as well. We should have done better. He's telling us we should have gone and got some bread. And, and many of us do that. We can often feel told off. We can often feel disapproved of. People in the church can often feel disapproved of by, by leaders in the church. Or they can just feel, oh, we're just being told what to do all the time. So those of us who teach and preach and lead, we might encourage people, as I, as I kind of am doing, to give of yourself, give of your time, give of your gifts, give of your money. This is how you, because you'll receive abundantly. And what we actually hear is oh, telling us we've got to do more. We've got to give. We've got to give more. We've got to attend more things. We've got to pray more. We've got to read our Bible more. We've got to, just telling us off the whole time. No, but that's our lenses of legalism because we're thinking that's where we're at. We often feel rebuked. In the end, Jesus actually does rebuke his disciples, but he rebukes them for their lack of faith rather than the fact that they've forgotten to bring any bread with them. He's like, why are you still talking about bread? Don't, don't you get this? He's looking at their hearts rather than their actions. He says, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but you're failing to hear? He's thinking, right now, the, the deaf guy who I hear, healed recently, he, he understands more than they do. There's a blind man coming up in the next passage. He sees more than they see. Currently, the disciples don't see or hear anything. They just don't get it. They don't understand that they've got the bread of life in the boat with them. They just don't understand that. All their needs are going to be provided for by Jesus. That's what they don't understand. They don't understand that Jesus is with them. He's going to provide all their needs. He'd fed 5,000 people sometime earlier. Now he's fed 4,000 fairly recently. And now they've got no bread. But Jesus is in the boat with them. Jesus is in the boat with them. And they're still concerned. They're still worried. They're still anxious. And Jesus says, look, 
Just remember what I've done in the past. Remember when I fed 5,000 people? Yeah. Well, how many baskets were left over? 12. I'm providing. There were 12 left over for you. When I fed 4,000, how many were left over? Seven. Okay. So do you not think it's going to be okay? Do you not think I'm going to provide for you? I have provided for you. You gave of your seven loaves. You've got seven baskets, which you left at the side of the river. <laughs> they don't understand. They don't need to be concerned. There is an abundance in Jesus. There is 90, he's fed 9,000 people, over 9,000 people, and there's 19 baskets of bread left over. And there's 13 of them in the boat, and they're like, what are we going to eat? Huh? I mean, we can, it's easy though. I mean, we can look at the disciples and we can think, oh, how stupid of them. But it's easy for us to slip into the same mentality. We can tell stories about what God's done in the past and how he's provided for us, but we, it's very hard for us to apply it in our own situation right now. We say, yeah, but I know you did that in the past, Jesus, but what about now? What about this situation I'm facing right now? I don't think you're going to provide for that. I mean, it's easy to slip into that. Okay, here's the good news. Because it seems like we're beating upon the disciples a bit or beating upon ourselves a bit. Jesus is so patient. Jesus is so patient. He's so gracious. He doesn't dismiss his disciples. He doesn't leave them. He's not saying, do you know what? You're useless. You're useless, bunch. Get, get out of the boat. How can we get out of the boat? Oh, you walk on water. Just go back to the shore. He doesn't... <laughs> He doesn't tell them to get out. He, he knows that they're going to change. He has faith for them that they're going to change, and they do change. He doesn't only have compassion on the crowd. He has compassion on them. He has compassion on us. Even if we keep failing, even if we keep coming back to the same old thing that we're sticking with, Jesus looks at us, and he has compassion on us, and he has patience with us. We've heard that this morning. He wants us to be realigned. It's a great word from Gary. He wants us to be realigned. By the way, Gary had no clue what I was preaching on this morning. See, this is God who's encouraging us in this. I didn't know Gary was going to bring that word. He didn't know what I was, I was going to be talking about this. God did. And God's saying, I have compassion on you. That's what he said. I have compassion on you. I want to realign you. I want to put things back in perspective. It's all going to change. We can, we can be encouraged by that. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, very briefly, why are the disciples like this? First reason the disciples are like this is they haven't yet seen the cross. They, this is before the cross. When they see the cross, actually the worldview, their whole way they look at the world is going to be turned upside down. They will see the extent of God's grace, not just for other people. They'll see it for them. They'll understand it. They'll know what God has done with them and how God's forgiven them. So let's take Peter, for example. Peter, before the cross, he was just zealous guy. Yeah, we're going to go and get it. But he was arrogant. He was hot-headed. He thought he knew it all. He was misguided, though. He, he just had far too high an opinion of himself and not really a very high opinion of other people. So when Jesus said, oh, you know, this is what's going to happen when I die and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be... Jesus, Peter's like, 
I, I don't know about these guys here, but I'm not going to desert you. I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. Jesus knew Peter's heart. He said, you will, Peter. You don't even know yourself. You think you won't, but you will. You'll deny me even three times, even before I've gone to the cross, before the cock, cro the cock crows three times. You'll deny me. And he did. Peter had to come to the point of just recognizing, oh, I might think I'm the man, but really I'm not. I mean, he would have been devastated, devastated, humiliated. God had to take him through that, though. God took him through that. He had to know how fickle his heart was. He had to know how, even though he thought he was better than that, he really wasn't. But then, after the cross, what does Jesus do? He comes to him. He cooks him a meal to start off with. Cooks him some fish. Has breakfast with him. And then he says, Peter, do you know what? Do you love me? Do you love me? What's he mainly concerned about? His heart. Where's your heart, Peter? Let's get back to basics. I know you thought you were the man. I know you thought you could do all of these things. I know you thought you were there, right there with me. But you know what? I don't really care about any of that right now. What I care about is, do you love me? Because I love you, Peter. I forgive you. On the cross, Jesus poured out his forgiveness, not just for Peter, but for the world, for all of us. And he says, so do you love me? Such compassion. And Peter says, yeah, you know I do. And once he'd seen that forgiveness, once he'd received it, once he was broken, Jesus put him back into place. He realigned him. He got his heart lined up. He says, okay, Peter. And now, feed my sheep. Now you can do something. Now you can care for others. He was confident at that point. Because before that, Jesus, Peter didn't really care about the others. He didn't care about Samaritans. He didn't care about Gentiles. He didn't care about other people, really, apart from himself. And now Jesus is saying, okay, now your heart's realigned. So feed my sheep. Care for others. Have we seen God's grace poured out on our life? Do we know that however much we think of ourselves, we're not all that? In fact, we're far worse than all that. We're totally relying on God's compassion and grace and forgiveness. Do we know how much he loved us? Maybe you've never even understood that before today. Maybe you've, never, you've always thought it was all about you doing the best you could and you could do pretty well. Jesus wants to realign you this morning. He's already told you he wants to realign you this morning. And secondly, the disciples hadn't yet received the Spirit. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we become more like Jesus because it's his Spirit. He sends his spirit. So when his spirit comes into us, we become more like Jesus. If my spirit was in you, you'd become more like me. You'd start pursuing the things that I'm interested in. You might suddenly have a desire to start playing squash. Or to think, I really want to go on a TV game show. Or <laughs> you'd start saying inappropriate things in front of people. You'd... <laughs> There'd be all sorts of, you know, it, you would be changed, but not for the better. 
if you have my spirit in you. But when Jesus' spirit is in us, we're, we're totally changed and for the better. By far for the better. We become more and more like him. And that's what happened to the disciples when they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us um, what the fruit of the Spirit brings in our lives. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, died to the flesh with its passions and desires and selfishness. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So that's what the fruit of the Spirit brings. When we have the Holy Spirit in us, these sort of things start to happen. These sort of characteristics start emerging in our lives. So we see a difference in John, the disciple, after he's received the Spirit. He was one of the ones, remember, who said when he went into Samaria, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But instead, in, after the Spirit's come, in Acts chapter 8, we see John calling down the power of the Spirit on the Samaritans. He calls down the power of the Spirit on the Samaritans because the Samaritans have received God's word. And it says when they arrived, they prayed, Peter and John, they prayed for new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because they hadn't yet come on them. They'd just been baptized into Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. John's totally changed. He's wanting to call fire down from heaven to destroy them. Now he's calling fire down from heaven to bless them. The same people, the same disciple. You see the difference? Huge difference. Huge difference. You read, about, you read John's letters. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. What's the main theme in John's letters? Love. Talks about it all the time. Love. That's what he's consumed by. He's totally changed. Loving God, loving each other. The rest of Galatians 5 explains what the fruit of the flesh are. These other things that go on in our lives other, other than the fruit of the Spirit. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, wanting to make something of yourself, dissensions, factions, and envying others, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All of these things that go on in people when they don't have God's Spirit in them. They can go on in the church as well when we don't keep coming back and being filled with God's Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's different to that. And we have to walk in it. Remember this, this verse here? It says, um, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. We're encouraged to live like that. So it makes a huge difference. Huge difference. We need to continually be filled with the Spirit to be able to have Him meet our needs so we can give to others. Okay, I'm finishing up. Jesus has such grace for his disciples. I'd have given up on them. I really would. If I was Jesus, I'd have like, forget it. I've chosen the wrong guys. Jesus is willing to involve these disciples in his work of feeding other people, even though they don't have any mercy in them themselves. They don't have compassion, but Jesus still uses them. It's amazing. Even when our hearts aren't lined up, God still uses us. He uses people who don't share his heart to work a great miracle. And he still does that today. But he does want to change our hearts. He does want us to receive grace. 
He does want us to become like him. Jesus was teaching his disciples, as you give everything you have, you'll be blessed. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do we understand that as we give ourselves to God, filled with his spirit, we'll receive far more than we could imagine? Because we've got Jesus in the boat with us. We've got Jesus in the boat with us, the bread of life. Many of us have known forgiveness and love of God poured out at the cross. Many of us have been filled by the Spirit, but we can be filled again, and we can change. Good news today is there's hope for us. Jesus has compassion on us. He's realigning us. That's good news. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you. I thank you, God, for your love for us. I thank you for your compassion for us. I thank you that even though you see how our hearts are conflicted sometimes, even though we hear what is on your heart and we say, but I want this, Lord, you still use us. You still use us to bless other people. But God, we see today that you want to change our hearts. You want to change our hearts of stone and make them a heart of flesh. God, we're encouraged when we see people like John and Peter, the disciples, who were so harsh and hard-hearted towards people and how you change them so dramatically to bless a world. And we can have faith this morning, Lord, that you will change us too in those times when we are hard-hearted and selfish and don't want to know. Lord, will you come and do that in us? Will you come and change us? God, will you save people? Let people know your forgiveness who have never known it before. Let them know your grace and mercy on them. And Lord God, I pray you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit again. Keep filling us. We need you so much to be able to walk in step with the Spirit, to be able to follow you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to hand you.